we sat at our kitchen table. She was sitting to my right and proclaimed, I don't really have any questions about my responsibilities. After all, I lived here up until I was two and a half years old. She was now 18 and had returned to teach in the school for which I served as the administrator. Later in the year, she went to her principal with a question. And her principal came to find me. I happened to be at the school that day. And he's like, Daryl, what do I do? My kindergarten teacher just asked if she can send all her kindergartners home because they're all done with what they have to do today. It was 1030. (laughs) Teamwork. Knowing your place on the team and how to contribute effectively to it. What is that framework? What does it look like? Today, I would like you to consider how your school can promote this framework for teamwork. And you can do it through three objectives. We want to consider these three objectives today. If you'll remember last night, the big, the big theme, the big idea for the weekend is building brotherhood. And I said we would look at three components to that. The first component was the foundation for brotherhood, which we did last night. And today, this morning, I would like to consider now the framework for teamwork. We think about brotherhood. Last night, we defined it as the calling we share as God's children, the the posture of our heart. Today, I would like to think of teamwork and use that word to serve as the basis for our our, uh, time together. And I would like you to think of teamwork as being the context in which you serve. And you are likely on several teams. I, I'm, I have teams that I'm a part of at church and at school. Of course, I have the team of my family. And, and you likely find yourself on several teams as well. But think of teamwork as being the context in which you serve, your team. And also, it's the greater purpose for which you serve. The context and the purpose. Your team. And what does the framework need to look like so you can strengthen, continue to strengthen brotherhood? And again, I believe that your school, I believe that you as a teacher can contribute to this framework when you practice three objectives. So let's consider what these objectives are. And to do so, I would invite you back to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I would, while you're turning there, I would just take this moment to say, if you're looking at your brochure for the weekend, you're seeing session titles that are a little bit different. That's my fault. That's not... Uh, the one who printed the programs, as, as I did some final prep, uh, the titles felt a little, bit, a little bit better to me to list them as I'm giving you in the session. So um, don't get confused by that. That's on me not communicating thoroughly in the last few days like I should have. So uh, the framework for teamwork today is what we want to consider. And, and three objectives that I think need to be practiced as 
as you think about building brotherhood. Ephesians chapter 4, let's look at verses 1 through 6, which I'll read at this time. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. The first objective that I would like you to think about is this idea of walking worthy. It's found in verse 1. Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you to walk worthy. What does it mean to walk worthy? To, the, the definition of walk is to tread all around, to walk at large. And worthy, the idea of walking after a godly sort. Walking worthy, the first objective to practicing, to, to building this framework for teamwork. You know, as a teacher, you're called to live, to teach, to practice in an exemplary way. What you do is visible, it's obvious to students. They, they see you, you're with them. Six, seven hours a day. And what is it that's, that's visible? What is it that your students are seeing? Verse 2 and 3 tell us that we're to walk worthy in our behaviors. And verse 4 through 6 call us to walk worthy in our beliefs. Our behaviors and our beliefs are what undergird our ability to walk worthy. And we must adjust those behaviors and those beliefs to match the, the Word of God, the example of Jesus Christ. We need to line those up. Because when they are not lined up, your students are probably the first to see it and the first to identify it. How do your students perceive the work of God taking place in your life? It's like God designed a test. He said, here's, here's what you need to do. Here's the test. And then we as teachers take the test. But guess who gets to grade it? The students. So we enter the classroom as a Christian or uh, take a new job at a Christian school. And you're expected to be Christian. Your students expect that. And, and then you begin to live it out. And they see your behaviors and your beliefs and they grade you on that. They determine how worthy are you walking. And will I have time to learn from my teacher? Does, it, does my teacher exemplify what I believe to be true about a Christian? These behaviors, lowliness or humility, meekness, uh, the idea of gentleness, uh, patience and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, we don't always get it right. I remember an incident when teaching in Grenada. It was time for gym class, and I took my guys out. We went out to the big soccer field in front of our school, and the first thing we were going to do is run a few laps. And I sent the guys off, and lo and behold, a number of them were walking. 
Now, this is very poor student behavior, something that needs addressed, because you never permit behavior like that to continue. So I called out, hey, guys, run. It's a lap. And one or two may have started slowly jogging, and several continued walking. Well, now I needed to exercise uh, the, the righteous position I was in as a Christian teacher and do something about this. And so I called out, all right, guys, two laps instead of one, thinking that would motivate them, and it didn't. And I remember calling out, all right, five, and I think I even called ten. And it didn't produce any change in a few of the guys. I was like, what, what is going on? And thankfully, I, I had the presence of mind to realize that I needed to stop yelling out more laps. <laughs> 192! It wasn't going to work. And as they came around from the first one, we went back in. I'm like, guys, what, what's going on? Like, help me understand this. And they said, well, sir, that's what they called their teachers. It just rained. I'm like, yeah, but the sun's out. It's beautiful now. I know it rained this morning. Yeah, but the field is wet. And when we run, the mud is going to kick up from our shoes up the back of our starch white school uniform. And do you know who needs to scrub our shirts when we get home from school today? Me. It's us. Like, we're responsible to wash our school uniforms and keep them clean. So I don't feel like doing laundry tonight just because you think I should run an extra lap? And I began to, I needed to stop and say, what am I missing here in the reality of life for my students? And to realize that, you know what? Maybe gym class could actually start without running a few laps. It it is possible to start gym class that way. And it was just a reminder to me that what, what, how often do I fail to bring a humility and a patience into my teaching? Because I'm the teacher, and I know what I want, and I know my students need to give it to me. And I miss what's really going on under the surface. And I miss what is true for them. Now, granted, they didn't respond in a mature way. But how many of your fifth graders stop and say, excuse me, ma'am, could we sit down and converse about this in a more congenial way? I would like to share with you how this feels to me and what's going on in my life that's causing me to resist the direction you're giving to me. You laugh, but how are the students going to learn that skill? You need to teach that to them and exemplify that by being the one willing to sit down and have that conversation with them in those moments where it's obvious you're missing one another. Walking worthy. Our students know when we're not getting it. There was one evening I, I uh, had a conversation with my oldest son, Brent, and I, the day came to an end. They were all tucked in bed. And I said to my wife, you know, I don't think that conversation went well. I, I need to go back and apologize to Brent. And so I stopped back at his bed. I said, Brent, can we talk? And I said, I'm, I'm sorry for the way I responded and the, 
what I said, I, I don't think that was, that was right. He said, yeah, Dad, I thought you'd be back to apologize to me. <laughs> oh, whew. what if I wouldn't have? You know, in his eyes, I had not met what he expected a godly dad to meet, that, that standard of walking worthy. And what if I wouldn't have been alert to that? And so I can feel really good about catching that one, but how many do I miss? How many do I miss? These beliefs, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of all, one baptism. What you do needs grounded in the Word of God, in the, the beliefs that are true. I remember an early year of teaching again in Grenada, and the expectation in Grenada was that schools exercise corporal punishment. So giving spankings was the expected thing to do um, in, in that time. And it was early in one of my, I think, first year, I had spanked a student who had a, a demonstrated a, a consistent trajectory of lying and spanked him. And that night I was seated at supper at a missionary's house, and the student's mother showed up at the door. I want to know why you spanked my child today. I was like, um, wow. And, and the thought that came to me, I said, well, ma'am, the Bible teaches that liars who don't repent eventually have their eternal destination in the lake of fire. God says that. And I really don't want that to be true for your son. So because of what the Bible says, that's why we spanked. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I just wanted to know. I was like, whew. And, and at the time, as I look back on it, I didn't realize how powerful it was to appeal to the Word of God in that situation. But we need to do that. Our beliefs need rooted and grounded in the Word of God. As you interact with your students, and you see situations, maybe not like corporal punishment, but maybe situations of response to things like the white supremacy that we've seen in Charlottesville. Maybe it's the response of Franklin Graham, who many people um, see, him, see as a very uh, well-known Christian, and he's applauding President Trump for his speech in which President Trump says, maybe the answer is just to totally destroy North Korea. Like, wow, what do your beliefs about the Word of God do in those situations, and how do they inform the conversations you have with students and with parents about what's going on in our world today? Because we must, it's not enough just to speak of our beliefs, our students, if we're to walk worthy and meet that objective our students must not just see us speaking our beliefs, but they need to see us living that way. They need to see you interacting in a way that affirms those beliefs. Walking worthy. The objective that will accomplish this, this uh, building this framework for teamwork. Let's look at the next section here in Ephesians. Verse 7 through 11. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. 
Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So if your team is to be strengthened so that it supports this idea of brotherhood, you must walk worthy as a member of the team. That's your first objective. The second objective that I would like you to think about is the objective of given grace. Now, before we get to the grace, I I forgot about this one picture that I needed to show you. To, a, to again shine a light back on this uh, walking worthy. So my apologies, but this picture is worth showing you. Um, I, I snapped this picture actually just a, about 10 minutes from here the other week. And as I looked into that room, I thought, wow, that kind of looks like my desk. But what caught my attention was what was posted on the little plaque beside the room. It's the maintenance office. It's the office responsible for maintaining everything else. And I think at times that illustrates the the disconnect between our beliefs and what we say and, and our actual walking worthy. And this is what students pick up so quickly on. When you say, this is what it's all about, and then they look at your desk, okay, in a in a spiritual sense. All right? Maybe a physical sense, too. Um, (laughs) You know, when our practice doesn't illustrate the worthiness that we are called to walk in, it it undermines this framework. That's the picture. Now, the second objective. This given, this grace that we've been given. The idea of grace being a calm happiness, the divine influence on the heart Verse 7, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You've been given gifts in accordance with the outworking of Christ's grace in our life. They are not all the same. They're not in the same amount. But they're all for the same purpose. That of perfecting the saints or, in your case, perfecting the pupils. God doesn't call us all to function in the same measure. God doesn't call us all to do the same thing because we are, we, we are all created in His image. We do all portray Him. But there are different ways because of God's grace that we portray that. For instance, think of humanity. We're in God's image. But God went a step further and He said, within humanity, I'd like to create male and female because I want to showcase different aspects of my image. And there are parts to the image of God that we as men are not able to portray like a woman can. And there are parts of God's image that a a woman doesn't portray like we as men are called to portray. There's, There's distinctives there. 
But then it goes a step further that as male and female, when we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, there are gifts that come with that. And, and those have variety as well. And we see that in verse 11, the pastors, the teachers, the prophets, evangelists, and apostles. And there are other passages of Scripture that reference this grace that we've been given. And the need for us to function on our team, or as 1 Corinthians 12 says, as a member of the body according to the grace that we've received. Functioning with given grace. So in short, you need a team. You weren't created to only portray God all by yourself. It's, it's this designation that you belong to something greater, something bigger than yourself. So in addition to walking worthy to build this framework of teamwork, you then need to take the grace you've been given and use it and acknowledge it and put it to work. The given grace. Given grace is not always something we statically possess or don't possess, but it's something Jesus longs to pour into our lives, something he calls us to grow into. The good work that he started, he wants to complete. There was a time, my first full year of teaching, that I was asked to teach physics. And I did, I guess for the good of the team. But a year later, I wasn't teaching physics anymore. Again, for the good of the team. (laughs) When glass jars blow up on the burner in class and glass shards start flying, you've done something wrong. And it was really easy for me to recognize that my given grace was not physics. It was a lot safer if I didn't try to teach physics. And there were other transitions that I've been a part of. I think to a couple years ago when we went through an administrative change at Ephraim Mennonite School, and there, were, there was a team of teachers called to serve in an interim leadership role. And as that year ended, the one teacher said, you know what, I, this administrative responsibility, I just, I, I just don't like I I don't it's not comfortable can't I please return to my classroom and just take care of my students and it worked out that absolutely that's what we did but in his year of being part of the administrative team one of the little areas of responsibility he had was to take care of our handbook and at the end of his year of administration as he returned to the classroom he said but you know I've discovered that I love researching policy and writing it. Like, I would be willing to maintain the handbook and and write policies and research how they should be written. And everybody else was like, wow, you go ahead. Like, that's beautiful. But his given grace there was so much of a blessing to the team that he was a part of and strengthened them because he discovered an area that he functioned really well in that was a a big gift to the team. 
Teams must identify, discuss, and structure themselves according to their giving grace, or they function with obsolete practice solving this year's challenges with last year's grace. Take time to talk about the grace you've been given. Don't be scared to identify that. And administrators, you can lead the way in this by creating opportunities. There was a classroom I walked into one time as an administrator. And when I walked in, the students looked a little worried, a little concerned, and asked the teacher, what is he doing here? And the teacher, I was waiting to see what the teacher was going to do with it. And the teacher said, well, students, you have nothing to worry about. He's here for me. He's my administrator, and he's here to to watch my teaching practice so that he can give me feedback on how it went for me. Don't worry about him. Um, I welcome him here because I know he's going to look out for me. And I was like, wow, that was an incredible gift that teacher gave by letting his students see that the role and relationship between administration and teachers was, was that of, of helping, of, of growing, of coaching. It wasn't threatening. And I think that's, that's so powerful when students can see that. And there were some things that we had to correct and work at in that classroom. There was a reason I was there. But the teacher paved the way nicely by, by owning that and welcoming that. Teacher teams is another area where this giving grace um, has been a part of our practice more recently at Ephrata. Our administrator has placed us on teams throughout the year, and we meet every other week for the purpose of talking about our practice. And part of that relationship is we schedule times to visit each other's classroom. And so last year when I was on one of those teams, it became normal for students to see other teachers walking into the room and sitting in the back. And I could say, hey, Mr. Stauffer is joining our class today. He's here to observe my practice because as a teacher team, we're working at developing these skills. So he's going to look for them in my lesson today. And then I get to sit down with him afterwards and hear what he saw and learn from that. And by the end of last year, it seemed like students had become comfortable And it was normal for teachers to visit classrooms and observe what is happening for the purpose of instructing one another in how's it going? Are we using the grace that we've been given? And is it it working out well for us? And I think those, those larger goals of professional development that our administrators implemented, when students could observe teachers in very visible, practical ways needing to grow and develop, it gave the teacher a lot, of, a, a lot of permission to invite the students then to do the same because the students could see that the teachers were also a part of something much bigger. They were on a team. They were, part, they were being called to grow in the graces that they've been given. So I think it's, it's very necessary for students to uh, be able to see their teachers exercising these graces and talking about the grace that they've been given and putting it to practice. That strengthens 
your team. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. The third objective to strengthening this framework for teamwork. It's for the purpose of perfecting pupils. Verse 12, for the perfection of for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why has grace been given? Why do we walk worthy in given grace? It's for the perfecting of the saints, verse 12 says. And in our context... I don't think we do any injustice to the Word of God to to think about our pupils in this case, to perfect our pupils. And if you study the, the sentence structure of verse 12, you will uncover that the reason these gifts are given is not solely to perfect the saints and to do the work of the ministry and to edify the body, but the perfecting of the saints is so that they can do the work of the ministry and edify the body. A pastor that looks at verse 12 and says, wow, I need to perfect the saints, do the work of the ministry and edify the body, is biting off more than he should. His job, yes, is to perfect the saints, but that's so they can do the work of the ministry and participate in the edification of the body. And as teachers, you're called to pour into the pupils, to perfect them. As you walk worthy with your given grace, it's so that your pupils can become perfected. They can be complete. They can grow into mature students. We teach our pupils for the purpose of furnishing them to be part of this endeavor, to make a significant impact in the health of their homes, in the health of their churches, and in their communities. I was meeting with our student council a few years ago, and I said, we were at a a weekend planning the upcoming year, and I said, you know, the month of October is, is recognized in, in many ways or many areas as, as Pastor Appreciation Month or Clergy Appreciation Month. I said, what if we as a student council would host an event where students could invite their pastors and church leaders to come in for breakfast and an assembly together before school starts? And student council looked at me and they said, no, I, I don't think that would work. And I was like, really? That would be awkward. I don't, know what I, would, I don't know what I would say to my pastor for a half an hour over breakfast. And my heart sank. That was so sad to hear. You don't know how to talk to your pastor. Maybe pastors don't know how to talk to their students, too. Whenever a school can facilitate a connection between pupils and churches, that is commendable work. I remember inviting a couple from our church who was in their upper 80s. They were married at least 65 years at the time. They're still both living today, so I think it's about at 67 years of marriage and age 90 
But they shuffled into my Bible class a few years ago, hand in hand, and sat there, and I had invited them. He was a retired bishop in our church, and I invited them to talk about marriage. He said, how, how have you made it work? What, what was it like for you when you got together? What were some of the trials you experienced? Because I wanted my seniors to hear from someone who'd walked the journey. And in the end, I said, so give us one thing that really contributed to the success of your marriage. And this aged, almost 90-year-old man with a slight smirk on his face said, well, we've discovered that kissing every day isn't a bad thing. (laughs) And the looks on the seniors' faces... But for them to hear that kissing contributed to the health of this aged couple's marriage, something so practical, right? But for them to hear it facilitated a connection like, oh, they're human. Because growing up, I would have labeled this bishop as a very stoic, unapproachable, scary person. It was good for me to hear that. And what are the relationships like between the leaders of our churches and the pupils in our school, and how can you facilitate that? That's something you can explore as a school. Leaders many times aren't sure how to become engaged, and and you can help that. It's a good work. It perfects the pupils. You cannot squeeze more out of your student than you have given to your administrator and to your school. If you are disorderly, if you're not punctual, if you're not thorough, if your fellow teachers have to pick up your slack, then it's really tough for you to ask your students to to give you that type of commitment. We need to be learning. We need to be part of this perfecting perfecting our pupils, but also as we walk worthy with our given grace, we must continue the journey of being perfected. Jesus' disciples were profoundly impacted because they were invited to walk in his steps. They saw Jesus living and responding to life as it came his way. Maybe your school has a track and field program. Maybe you do some activities with sports and games. But one of the things that's necessary as we teach and as we think about perfecting our pupils and strengthening teamwork is we must recognize that these gifts that are given are for a bigger purpose. So maybe you have an athletically gifted student. Don't just reward them with a ribbon on track and field day, but lead them in understanding that their athleticism might be the given grace through which they can initiate meaningful recreation and meaningful fellowship in their youth group with younger students at school. Uh, my, My children love when Morgan has phys ed with them. Morgan's the senior that can dunk a basketball sometimes. But when he comes out 
and refs their soccer game, that's far more impactful than being able to dunk a basketball. Because he's taking what he does well and using it to facilitate positive interaction and teamwork in other people's lives. I think about our student council president this year who's talking about what he believes God's calling him to and says, I am having so much fun on Stuco this year being able to work with a team and work with these other students and, and lead this group of students. He's recognizing that giving grace has a purpose greater than himself. The, the teachers in your school that rise above as having particular grace, give them the responsibility to lead some faculty mentoring sessions. Give them the responsibility to coach the new teachers. Gifts cannot be recognized as standalone accomplishments. When we do that, we miss the point of the gift. So, do you reward students for gifts? I believe you should recognize that. But not because they've achieved so much and are so good, but because there will be opportunities for them to put that to work, to strengthen whatever team they find themselves on in the days and weeks to come. Gifts have a purpose. Therefore, the perfecting of the saints so that the work of the ministry can be accomplished. Not all students are created to accomplish the same purposes. We must interact honestly with students about those purposes. I think about the student who's on our audiovisual team at school who is so able to talk the technical terms of soundboards and light, light boards, I'm lost, but isn't able to sit in one seat and successfully run the sound in a program because, oh, I should fix this. Oh, that mic stand needs moving. Oh, this is, let me go. And we got to the point where it's like, okay, this student is going somewhere with his abilities, and it's very valuable, but we're going to have to help him understand what his grace is not if he's to be successful. So we needed to have the conversation, look, your spot is right here in this chair behind the board. No one else knows how to spin the knobs like you do, so please stay here. I'm telling you, this is what you're going to really do well at. Moving the mic, let someone else do that. You must stay here. And when he stays here, it's phenomenal what he can do. It's very successful. But we have to be willing to have those conversations and help students identify what those graces are in their life. Don't devalue hard work by telling everybody, great job. But do be honest. Do be honest. And where there's a great job, Acknowledge it. And where there's not a great job, talk about how it can be perfected and talk about what can make it a great job. As a teacher, you can contribute to this framework for teamwork by practicing these objectives. You must walk worthy, adjusting your beliefs and behaviors you must do this with the grace you've been given for the purpose of perfecting your pupils, having a compelling influence 
in their lives. What objective is God inviting you to work at on your team? As you think about your place in your school, as you think about the grace you've been giving, given, what is God calling you to function with? I'm going to again invite you to reflect, to write, and to relate. And we're a little shorter on time today. So I'm going to give you a minute or two to do the reflecting and writing. Now that you've done it last night, hopefully it'll come a little quicker for you today. But we are going to have a few moments of conversation again this morning. So go ahead, reflect, and write. And in about two minutes, I'll invite you to share, to relate to others. What behaviors or beliefs might you need to adjust? What Grace might you need to recognize God's called you to function with? Or what grace has he not called you to function with? And as you perfect those pupils, what is God calling you to work at on their behalf? How's God inviting you to pass on to them what they need so they can contribute to how well your classroom goes? So they can contribute to the responsibilities that need Uh, met in your room or in your school. All right, I'm going to invite you to stand and again break into uh, huddles of four to six and uh, start talking, and I'm going to give you about three minutes to do that. Go. going to invite you to return. Thank you for your discussion. It's important for teachers to be punctual and to end class on time. So you must cease at this point because I'd hate to make you late for breakfast. You may continue your conversations uh, at brunch. I mean, uh, God bless you so much.